Thank you, Evie. Well, this morning, I got, I walked in the building at the same time as Brother John, and first thing he said to me is, can you preach tonight? And if you can imagine the emoji look, if I could text it to you right now, for those of you who don't know what an emoji is, it's the deer in the headlights look. Uh, Today marks 14 years of full-time pastoral ministry for me, and I have never once been asked on the day of to preach. Now, also, in 14 years, I've never began the process of preparing a sermon in advance, just in case. But give glory to God, about two weeks ago, I just felt in my heart that Brother John was going to be sick sometime soon. And for the first time in all these years of ministry, I got a head start. And I'm just so thankful that God would even prompt me in that um, because that was not a part of my my past. And pray for him. He's not doing the best, as you heard this morning. Um, Also, uh, Matthew Sisson over here was telling me earlier that not too long back at his old church, he found out the morning of that he needed to preach and uh, he had to teach Sunday school. And then he had a 45-minute gap to prepare. And afterwards, everybody commented on how it was the best sermon he ever preached. So my expectations are high tonight, guys. (laughs) Was it John Wesley said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God? So here we go. Uh, Five years ago, I actually preached a sermon out of Ephesians, the very beginning of Ephesians, talking about the Trinity's work in our salvation. And in that, I gave an illustration. And I'm going to give that again because hopefully your mind, your memory cannot recall this illustration after five years. So I'm going to go back to it. Uh, this was June 2011, and the Huffington Post is a story about a man named Max Melitzer. A private investigator says he has tracked down a homeless Utah man and delivered some good news. He has inherited a lot of money. David Lundberg said he found Max Melitzer pushing a shopping cart filled with personal possessions in a Salt Lake City park Saturday afternoon. Lundberg declined to disclose how much money Melitzer will be receiving, but said the man's brother, who died of cancer last year, left him a significant amount in his will. He'll no longer be living on the street or in abandoned storage sheds, he told the Associated Press. He'll be able to have a normal life and be able to have a home, provide for himself, and purchase clothing, food, and health care. The investigator said he broke the news to Meltzer while they were sitting on a bench at Pioneer Park. While Lundberg said he didn't tell Meltzer how much money he was inheriting, the man was excited. He's still in shock. This came out of nowhere, Lundberg said. Meltzer has been homeless for years. Earlier this month, a police officer found Meltzer sleeping in a car in the local salvage yard. So a story from rags to riches. Uh, Can you imagine walking in Max Meltzer's shoes one day? living in abandoned storage sheds and cars and and the salvage yards, and then the next day you've inherited more than you can imagine, sleeping in a real bed in a real house, eating good food for the first time in more than 25 years, all without doing a thing to earn it. Is not the church full of Max Militers? If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open with me to our passage in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, who's like a private investigator, is breaking the news to the church of how rich he really is. Pay attention to what he says about how your salvation was accomplished by the work of the three persons of the Trinity. Max didn't know how much money he was even inheriting, but he was excited and shocked by it, and the story is being told. So, 
to kind of lead into our sermon, I want to read how Paul launches off in this book in worship, all right? Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of of his glory. Verses 3 through 14 are just one complete run on sentence where Paul is getting his worship on. And he's telling you and me that we are the beneficiaries of great riches made possible by the Godhead. And like the Apostle Paul, I pray that you and I will let it create a wellspring of praise to the glory of God. He goes in verse 15 then, where we're going to begin our text tonight with the first three words saying, For this reason. So what Paul is doing, he's going to say everything that follows is going to be in a response to what we just read together. In view of every amazing blessing that's ours in salvation, from verses 3 through 14, Paul's desires that every Ephesian believer, including you and me, would marinate in this reality of redemption of ours. Recognize the riches of his grace so that we too would turn back and glory in God with praise. It's not until verse 15 that he actually begins to shift the conversation to the church. He wants the church to know. That's your key word. He wants them to know the blessings that they have through Jesus Christ. And so for the remainder of our time together tonight, I want us to look at how Paul personally prayed for the Ephesian church. This is going to give you and me better insight on how we too can best pray for one another Even believers in the church that we don't know too well. Hence, how do I pray for other believers? Listen, according to Acts 20.31, Paul served with the Ephesians for three years. That's plenty of time for Paul to build build, uh, tight bonds of friendship. Many years have passed, though, and he's likely in a Roman prison. And he probably doesn't know everything that's going on there. And there's probably a lot of new faces that's been added to there. People have been saved that he's not aware of. But that doesn't stand in Paul's way of knowing how to pray for them. You see, when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is even there to help us. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, The Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So listen, because we've been filled and we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, he will help us intercede for the saints according to the will of God. You see, 
you'll see that tonight because Paul understood our blessings are sovereignly secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. He could pray for them with power because of that. And sometimes we just don't know how to pray, but hey, the Holy Spirit's got you covered, church. Paul is going to provide for us an example of how we can best pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. Paul says, For this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Again, Paul's been there for three years, and now he's been removed for a little bit of time. Any information that he has received from them has been by letter or by a personal visit somebody has made. He only knows what other people are saying, and the word on the street is First Baptist Church in Ephesus is alive. That's what he knows. How did Paul know that the church in Ephesus had been faithful to the teachings that he had shared with them? Because he heard of their faith in Christ. This has nothing to do necessarily with ongoing demonstrations of faith, but referencing back to the amazing faith and grace of God that we see in 3 through 14 that we just read about. The original work of redemption that God has poured out on them. And God continues to visit that church in mercy. And the evidence of their faith in Christ is all about. Paul also heard of their love for all the saints. The mark of the true Christian is both faith and Christ for other Christians. This is the great commandment. Love God and love people. The Ephesian believers then had a cohesive testimony. Their life matched their message. The news of their Christian witnesses, as well as their lifestyle of loving unity, was music to the Apostle Paul's ears, no doubt. So do not underestimate the importance of your personal holiness and how it plays into your witness. Now, here's where we get to our lesson on prayer. Here's where Paul's going to show us tonight the how, what, and why of prayer. How should we pray for ourselves and others? What should we pray and why can we have confidence when we pray? This is what we're going to start with. Number one, how should we pray for one another? Paul says in verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. The will of God. So many Christians are um, at a loss when it comes to knowing the will of God. They're perplexed by it. And the Bible lays it out plain and simple for us in so many instances. In one instance, Paul, writing to the Thessalonian church, says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, in light of what Paul said to the Thessalonians, let's examine him in light of what he is saying here to the Ephesians. In writing to the Ephesians, was he rejoicing, church? Yes. They were chosen, saved, and sealed by God, And had been living that out in their community. Was Paul praying without ceasing? Yes. According to verse 16, he did so regularly and consistently. Was Paul thankful to God? Absolutely. In his constant prayers, he was filled with thanks. Now, he didn't just turn and thank the church. You you might notice there, he didn't turn and thank the church for their faithfulness. He thanked God for their faithfulness to God. You see, his encouragement by them became his vehicle of worship to God itself. God supplied all their needs, and according to Philippians 2.13, he is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is the motivator, he's the initiator, and he's the, the beneficiary of all the glory to be received. So per Paul's example, how should we pray for one another? We pray regularly and consistently. We pray with thanksgiving. 
Now let me tell you, when I was asked to preach this morning, my first thought wasn't thankfulness. But it was just a split moment there where I had that God checked my heart and, and I realized, and I said, God, thank you. You prepared me for this. For that is the will of God for us. And next, I want to show you by Paul's example what kind of things you can ask God on behalf of others in your church family. So how should we pray for one another we covered? Now, what should we pray for one another? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So first what we see here is he prays that each of us will come into a deeper and intimate knowledge of God. How can we best pray for our church family? We pray like Paul did. Ask God to help your church family to see him and know him for who he is. You see, we all win in here when we get prayed for like that. When we marvel at the sovereign grace and majesty of God. And Paul understands here that our recognition of God's greatness is completely a gift of his own grace to us. In Matthew 16, 17, following Peter's pronouncement that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus in turn says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's eyes have been opened by God to recognize Jesus. And now Paul is praying that our eyes would be opened to God's greatness as well. He says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is why we sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. It's not that this is for the spiritually blind. Paul is praying for the church, that their eyes would be opened. When we sing those words, we are declaring that our ability to see God for who he truly is, is a gift of God's grace to us. I like how Charles Spurgeon put this when he says, You have eyes, God's grace has given them to you, but they are capable of additional power and force. And there is the telescope of faith, which you are allowed to use, which will enable you to see much more than you ever have seen as yet. So pray that your brothers and sisters, by their telescope of faith, We'll look deep into God. And then also pray that each of us will know three unchanging things that we possess in Christ. I want you to see this. Paul's going to ask God for three things that they would know. This is really important to Paul. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would open the believer's eyes and know at the core of their being these three unchanging truths. And the word know here is an intuitive, beyond a shadow of a doubt kind of knowledge. Okay? First, He prays so that they will know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling, to know that. Believers can be assured, we can be assured, that we have received eternal life. Now, hope is not used here in a way that is familiar to most of us, like we would say, I hope that these storms don't spawn a tornado. No, that's a hope of uncertainty. Paul speaks of a joyful and confident expectation of our salvation. It's a hope that's based on certainty. To Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.1, he calls Jesus our hope. To Titus, he speaks of the return of Christ as the blessed hope. Peter then refers to a living hope because Jesus was raised on the third day and everything that's coming to us is secured in Christ because he is alive. It's sheltered and secured in his incomparable power. Secondly, 
so that you will know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, Paul wants you and every believer to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a future inheritance. And we sang the song Blessed Assurance earlier. Again, I had no connection with, uh, with um, Scott as he prepared uh, what we would do tonight, but it was interesting to me when I realized what he was singing that I wanted to reference it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Believers are God's children, and we receive the inheritance of his riches. If you back up in your passage there, in verse 13, when it talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your redemption... He says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So we are sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit of promise as a a pledge of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the believer's pledge or the believer's deposit from God. I like Boyce's commentary how he says that it's like a down payment on the purchase of a property The Spirit is proof of God's good faith and an earnest of the full amount to come. Paul wants us to intuitively know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then third, he says, And and that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Finally, Paul wants us to know intuitively beyond a shadow of a doubt the power of God. He's not praying for the church to have power. He's praying that they would know that power. According to verse 3 in our book of Ephesians, the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, he's already given it to you, church. Paul's just praying that we would intuitively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, know God's present power. It's a power he describes as surpassingly great. This word surpassingly is a hyper word. It's a word going over and above. Paul means a greatness that exceeds beyond anything else. And then this power, which we also get our English word dynamite, speaks of God's explosive ability. And Paul is praying, for the, praying that every believer would recognize the out-of-this-world exceedingly great explosive dynamite power that God has for his children. So what he's trying to get across to us that is that all of these blessings are ours. Let's just own them. Does that make sense? Possess your possessions. God told Joshua, he promised Israel land, hence the promised land. He told Joshua in Joshua 1.3, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Okay? So I've already given this to you, now just walk on it. Right? And it's yours. In other words, I've already given it to you, but you have to put one foot in front of the other and possess your possessions. Same applies to every blood-bought believer in Christ. We have the how, the what, and then the why. Why can we pray with confidence for one another? Why can we do that? First, because God is all-powerful. Verse 19b, Paul says, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. Working, strength, might. All those three words are almost the same. How has he displayed this power? In the resurrection of Christ. He goes on to say, when he raised him from the dead, Jesus triumphed over sin. When he lived a sinless life, 
died, was, was buried, swallowed up death and victory, and his resurrection then changed everything. In Christ, death has lost its sting. Again, he has displayed his power in seating Jesus in a position of honor. It says, in seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is a place of honor and power above all. All what? Well, he has displayed his power in making him the supreme authority of the universe. He goes on in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Um, you know that old saying, you can't hold a candle to that? Um, it said that that comes from back in the day when you would have uh, like an apprentice who would hold a candle to a, a master artist or craftsman while they did their work. And he was obviously lower than the one who was doing the work. And when someone didn't say, you can't hold a candle to him or can handle to that, then it means that basically you aren't worthy enough to hold a light. Listen, there's not a government, a monarchy, or anything in this world that can hold a candle to the position of Christ. There's not a galaxy outside the reach of his rule. He's also displayed his power in putting all things under his ultimate control. Verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. You see, some people have authority, but they've lost all control. Christ is seated in a position of supreme authority, and he will never lose control. Some take the throne eventually to die and pass it on to another, while no one will ever take Jesus' place because he is risen forevermore. He has also displayed his power in making him the head of the church. Paul concludes by saying, And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Right here, Paul declares the sovereign rule of Christ. He is unsurpassed. He is the undefeated, undisputed Savior and Lord. Jesus conquered sin in his death. He overcame death in his resurrection and overwhelmed every other force in his ascension. His authority reassures us that there is no empty promises church with God. He is the ultimate promise keeper and he will accomplish all he has set out to do for us. So there you have it. When you pray for your spouse, when you pray for your children, when you pray for us pastors, you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, pray that their eyes would be open to how truly great God is. Pray that they would be fully persuaded of their hope and security that they have in Jesus Christ. Pray that they would store their treasures in heaven where rust, thief, or moth cannot touch, where our only inheritance lies. Pray that they would know the extraordinary greatness of God's explosive ability to work mightily in their lives. He's already given it to you, but you have to put one foot in front of the other and possess your possessions, made available and secured by the incomparable power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your pure and perfect word for us tonight. I know that there are no accidents in your kingdom. So Lord, as we looked at this tonight together, based off of something that you stirred in my heart a few weeks ago, whether it was delivered well or not can be debated. But your word is true no matter who speaks it. Lord, help us tonight to have a new perspective on how we can lift up our brothers and sisters 
our pastors, to you. Oh God, help us to see you for all that you're worth. God, we treasure trash so often. But you are infinite. You are infinitely valuable. Lord, help us to see you for that. Oh, Father, I pray that we would get a glimpse of all that awaits us on the other side of death. When we look into your kingdom, Lord, and that that would spur us on in living for Jesus unashamed here on this planet. And Father, I pray that we would recognize the explosive ability that you have available to do work in our lives. Lord, help us to possess our possessions, all that you have for us. Let's just step into that and enjoy all that's there. And Lord, I pray that as a result that our church would grow and mature and that we would continue or even grow in a testimony that Paul says here of Ephesus, that he hears of the work, of their faith, and all their love for the saints. God, I pray that that would be our testimony. Lord, would you please bless our pastor tonight as he is recovering and not feeling well. And that, Lord, you might bless his ministry through what goes on here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.